Welcome to another edition of the Audible presented by Verizon. With 5G built right for the Vikings, Minnesota can scream, stream, and share every play in Verizon 5G quality. It is week number nine, show number nine, game number eight, and I'm joined by Ben Lieber as always on the Audible presented by Verizon. Um, I'm so over game number seven against the Dallas Cowboys that I had to say game number eight in the intro. Um, I know we got to talk about that a little bit, but how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. You got you got a lot of numbers to get out there. 5G, week eight, game seven, <laughs> I mean, show whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm... I'm I'd like to be over it, yeah. But you know, you know how these wins and losses go. Like as a player, you're supposed to flush things down and put things to bed and turn the page and mm. think of all the other cliches you can think of just to like get ready for the next game. But this one has a tougher frequency of waves. Okay. You know, I think this one's going to carry on at least for the fans longer than it should, and it's unfortunate because it's not like I'd be. Lo- I'd love to ride this wave of positivity and say like, hey, let's talk, let's do, let's talk about last week's game and like how much better we were. And even though they had Cooper Rush and our defense played this and our offense did this. But the reality is like, that was a really a heartbreaking loss. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I hope and I'm hoping that the guys, the team, the coaches internally get over it faster than we do. Heartbreaking in front of 66,000 fans with a unreal game presentation. It was very defeating for a lot of people in attendance. And um, when you have a night game in primetime like that, you you hate to lose in a fashion that way, especially in a game that when you go into against the Dallas Cowboys, you say, okay, if we stop the run, we will win this game. We stop the run, and then they beat us with a backup quarterback. And I know there are a lot of negatives, but I know there are some positives too going forward. The fact that our defense, even though they gave up that last drive, they were able to stop the run in a way that we haven't seen all year. So when you look at this Michael Pierce-less defense, who may be coming back this week, Mm -hmm. what stood out to you about the Vikings run D in that Dallas Cowboys game? Well, I do think that, you know, in total, you know, we we got after their offensive line and we we stopped Zeke and and we stopped Pollard for the most part. But, you know, I I think, you know, to be honest, you know, they're – we got to pick these things apart, and mm-hmm. it's not that simple. I think that there was a large portion of the game they they abandoned the run game. I don't think that they committed to the run game, and so I think if, if you're box score watching, it looks like hey, our run defense was was exponentially better. Yes, it looks good, but I also think that game plan wise and game flow, I was a little curious why they sort of got away from the run game. The the amount of success they had in the passing game that was obviously a concerning thing. But I think Everson once again is just just is having a great season. Yeah. You know, I thought he played really really well, and obviously Xavier Woods mm. against against a team mm. that every former player from a team that's what that you dream played, of. That's what you dream of. All these guys get asked during the week, does this game mean more to you? And they're like, nah, nah just, it's just a game and yeah. whatever. Come on, man. They, they, he was fired up. He had to have been fired up. Rightfully, I mean, after the, the interception, he ran over to the Dallas Cowboys bench and started, you know, beating his chest. And then fast forward to the second half when he got the forced fumble, he was at that sideline, the Dallas Cowboys sideline, for a good 30 seconds. Yeah. This game, that game meant a lot to him. Granted, it didn't come with the win. Well, you hope he can build on that success this upcoming Sunday in the Baltimore Ravens game. But last thing about the Dallas Cowboys game, the unfortunate news, we are down Daniil Hunter for Mm -hmm. the rest of the season. Torn pec injury um, happened in the second quarter of the game. Of course, when the the video board shows shoulder injury questionable to return, I'm thinking in the back of my head, okay, like we're fine. He'll probably sit out to the half, get get some tape, whatever whatever you got to do and come back. 
He's out for the game. We get the news early in the third quarter. It's diagnosed as a pec injury out for the season. How do we build from this? How do we go from here? He, he sets the tone for our defensive line, game in and game out. Yeah, he no doubt. I mean, you go back to last year, we didn't have the number one pass rushing defense yeah. in the league last year, which we are now as far as the number of sacks go. Um, so his presence, 100%, yeah. is the catalyst from that big turnaround and the reason why uh, they caused so much pressure. So now it's going to be curious to see how our guys rebound. You know, I think having Everson back is going to be big. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that we can use our pieces now, you know, you're, you're really big on DJ Wanham for the, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think in year two, you know, this is a chance for him to step up you know, show, show his raw talents mm-hmm. and skills. He's going to have a lot of opportunities. I think you can have Everson move to the inside in some obvious passing situations to use that quickness, pair him up with Sheldon Richardson, you know, have some pick plays and stunts and twists for each other, free each other up. Um, you know, Patrick Jones, they keep talking about, yeah. uh, you know, he's a guy that fits the mold. They, they look for guys that look like Daniil Hunter. They're looking for big, long-levered guys, and he fits that mold, and they stay – you know, in practice and what they've, he's shown in games, he plays with that tenacity that mm-hmm. Everson plays with. So he's going to have opportunities. Let's, let's hope that all that talk actually, you know, comes to fruition and there's some, there's some pressures and sacks. For sure. And the reason why I'm so big on DJ Wanham is because I'm looking at other guys in the league that are in year one or year two and the impact they have on the game from a Mike Highsmith to a Chase Young or Aziz Ojulari who came out this year with five and a half sacks. And I'm like, none of those guys have – a person in front of him like Daniil Hunter that can pretty much show them the way that uh, Jason Owe from the Baltimore Ravens, he has a, a Justin Houston in front of him with 99 and a half sacks, but still a young guy like Daniil Hunter that has paved the way as well as Everson Griffin. So I talked to DJ Wanham early in the year and he was like, that's been the catalyst for the success so far this year. So now when he gets the opportunity, I'm like, You've been taught the right way to do things. You've been taught. You've been a starter before. You've seen game action. You've been a backup. So you've seen the game from another person's perspective also. So now is the opportunity to do your thing, have a day against Tyree Phillips to show who you really are against this Baltimore Ravens team that's still trying to find their way coming off a bye week. No doubt that at home they're going to be a tough out. Mm-hmm. But they've got an extremely banged up offensive line. Yeah, they are not happy with their offensive line. There were talks that they were going to make a big trade before the trade deadline to get another offensive lineman, a guy that they can you know plug in there and solidify that thing. You know, no doubt that Lamar Jackson can make some plays. Yeah. No doubt that he can <laughs> press the ball down the field like no other. Um, you know, Hollywood Brown's going to be a problem. There's some speed there. There's there are guys in in situations that we have to respect and honor. But as far as looking at their offense and saying like, oh my gosh, they're just world beaters. They no. struggle to run the football. Mm-hmm. They struggle to protect the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They allow a lot of pressures in non-blitzing situations. So there's a lot of things that we can, we can, uh, we can pick apart and we can find their vulnerabilities and hopefully exploit them. Uh, you hope so. But moving forward, as we start to gain momentum, try to get some wins under our belt, how do you think we need to establish our identity on offense? Because we still don't know what this offense can be. We, we know we have the weapons, but where do you start? We, we do have to run this offense through Dalvin Cook. I think there are ways that you can do that that's just not a straight outside zone run mm-hmm. on first down. I, I think that, that we have to get a little bit more creative when it comes to first downs and what we want to do. Um, we came back in the second half against Dallas, and we threw more on first down. Mm-hmm. But we showed them in the second half that was our M.O., 
Well, then you mix that up. Mm -hmm. Don't keep doing the same thing. They started calling some blitzes on first down, and now all of a sudden, our first down passes weren't effective. Yeah. So I think it's just about being flexible in the coaching, being flexible with the play calling, you know, allowing Dalvin to establish the run, but non-obvious ways. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think if we can do that and, and put ourselves in third manageable, then you go to your guys on the outside yeah. where they're virtually unguardable. <laughs> and if you do guard them, most likely you're going to get a, a defensive you know, pass interference or holding call, some sort of infraction yep. that's going to go our way as well. I agree with you 100% on that front. Get Dalvin the ball, let him get some space, let him make some plays, and everything else will open up. But to get that going, it starts with this entire O-line. Mm -hmm. And who's going to be on the show today is two anchors of our O-line on the outside. Christian Derisaw, Brian O'Neill. Two guys that have been playing at an all-time level, especially Brian O'Neill. But your thoughts before we have those two guys on? I was impressed. I've been impressed with Derisaw. You know, when he first got in, you know, you could see there was he was a little slow. He was just trying to figure things out and feel things out. I'm like, look, man, I feel like my whole rookie year I was feeling <laughs> things out. It took him about a half a game to yeah. kind of figure it out. It crazy. And that's super impressive. Yeah. His strength is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he just has. He has that old man farm strength. You know, it just looks like he's just naturally strong. And mm -hmm. I'm sure he can push every weight in the weight room. <laughs> but he just looks like a guy that knows how to use his body mm -hmm. and use it in the right way. His development in such a short amount of time, I really think that he just keeps plugging away mm -hmm. and he keeps staying hungry and he keeps that edge because mm -hmm. he plays with an edge. I love it. If he can play with it. that nastiness... Man, I, I think we truly have the left tackle for the next 10 years. Whew. Well, the left tackle for the next few years and the right tackle for the next few years that just signed a deal is coming up next on the show. Stay tuned, everyone, for our guests of the week, Brian O'Neill and Christian Derisaw on the Audible presented by Verizon. All right, we're back. This is the Audible presented by Verizon. My name is Gabe Henderson. I'm here with our two guests of the night, my man Brian O'Neill. And the newcomer on the show, the rookie, Christian Derisaw. What's up, fellas? What up, what up? We usually start this off with the trivia question, and we're going to get to that after I ask this question. But start number two for you this past Sunday, how did you feel after your start number two, uh, Brian? Uh, I don't know how I felt after, but I know he was a lot – It seemed he seemed a lot less nervous and anxious than <laughs> I did. And looking back on it, he seemed calm, cool, and collected, but – I remember I was freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> Were you freaking out at all before the game? Uh, uh, not really. I'd probably say like Detroit game. Okay. Uh, I didn't know when I was going to play. I knew I was going to play, but I didn't know like when the time was going to come. Okay. I was kind of like freaking out. But after that, like everything just got out. And got I was it in. Ready to play. All right. Trivia question. You ready? Yep. First one's for you, Brian. It's about Christian Derrissaw. All right. How many FBS offers did Christian have coming out of high school? Well, he went to Virginia Tech, so he probably had more than a couple. I'm going to go with 12. One. Really? One offer. Yeah. Virginia Tech, right? Yep. And you had, what, a couple of HBCU offers? Right. Like lower D1AA, Central Connecticut, schools like that. But Talk to me about that process. Oh, it was, it was difficult. Just like, because I wanted to play at the highest level. And like Virginia Tech, they came on late, like during the recruitment process and everything. And it was just like, I'm going to take my chances and, and go here, uh, improve like all these other coaches, like, not seeing something in me that they do, and I just ran with it. That's a really cool story, especially yeah. like I mean, you three-star recruit coming out of yeah. high school, you, what six three, six four, yeah. only three, one big offer, and then three other offers. Yeah, it was definitely seeing all my other teammates get all like the Alabamas, LSU's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got selling <laughs> insurance now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. 
All right, Christian, this one's for you. What sport did Brian win Delaware at high school player of the year his senior season? Basketball. Man, you confident about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you pretty much he told you about his game? I seen the highlight tape. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the highlight tape on uh, the last time we had Brian on the Audible, and he was like kind of, ah, that's, that's nothing. <laughs> War number 24 and was getting buckets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> getting straight buckets. <laughs> And you still like, all right, so did you play basketball, Christian? Not in high school. Not in high school? Growing up, yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to think because y'all are both tackles and like having quick quick feet are essential to being a good tackle in the NFL. So any dancing, anything outside of like basketball or sports that help you with your footwork? I certainly can't dance. He saw today (laughs) at practice. (laughs) Uh, uh, No, not really. Just. Basketball and football for me growing up. Yeah, for me, probably was like as a kid, like growing up, I used to play tight end. So okay. like I would do like all the tight end, like skill work and everything like that. So I probably feel like that. Got my quick feet from that, doing all that. That's crazy because you know he played tight end, right? Yeah. And so he got a touchdown in college. Was that was who was that against? Oh, I have one against Virginia Tech, actually. <laughs> but we lost. We lost the game. I didn't really ever beat Virginia Tech, so I can't really. I say I didn't want to like rub that question in your face, but I knew it was against Virginia, <laughs> Virginia Tech. But I know you got one up on yeah. him. But I mean, you guys, we we talked about it before, Brian. You just, I mean, you're a staple on this offensive line. You just got here, and now you're starting to work your way into the system, figure things out. How has Brian helped you with your process, especially you know missing the first few games of the season, and now actually being a staple on this offensive line? I'll probably say like a lot, really, just coming in, um, getting hurt. And the uncertainty, just talking to B.O. is just about, like, just stay with it. It's like trust the process and everything because it's, like, hard trusting, like, a new organization, like, just to instill all that trust. Like, they're taking care of you, trying to make you, like, get healthy back out on the field. I was having the conversations with him, and then when my time came, uh, I was ready to go. Coming in and, you know, not getting – not being able to play, whether it's for injury or just learning process, what what is that mental process like for you guys? Is it frustrating? Is it – you know, rewarding? Is it like, what, what is that feeling like? Um, I'd say it's humbling just because you're used to being the man. You're used to playing every snap. You're, you're used to dominating. And then you come into, pre- even at practice before you start playing, you're not winning every single rep. Mm-hmm. Or in college, like you weren't, I wasn't really losing a one-on-one rep. Or <laughs> I wasn't, you, you weren't really used to ever losing. Uh, you can just ask Pat Jones. But like when you get here and you go against Daniil and Griff and at the time B-Rob for me and Limbaugh, and the guys we had up front, you're not used to losing. So being able to be okay with taking it slow and just building up to where you're finally able to be ready to play, but then also understanding that like, there's really good players in this league who are, you know, I came in probably still as like a little kid and there's 28, 29 year old grown men who've been doing this for 10 years. Like they're gonna get theirs too. Uh, just understanding the level of players that you're gonna see. Yeah, uh, I'll piggyback off of him the same way. It's like being a man in college. Um, like you don't lose any reps or anything like that, but it's like a little frustrating for me too. It's like the injury. Um, I thought everything was like behind me and then come back from fall camp, tweaked it a little bit and just not knowing when I was going to be able to like play and like, I'm here to play football and just haven't had any practices in like the, the summer and coming to fall camp. So just getting through that, talking to Pico and having those conversations and just to get where I'm at now, uh, I can't even explain it. That's so crazy just to just to hear that that perspective because you, you always hear you, these defensive ends getting paid all this big money or getting on this notoriety and they get it for from beating left and right tackles and then for you guys you don't really hear much like if you hear a right tackle or left tackle's name in a game chances are they're doing something wrong. Right. So the chance the fact that you guys are actually you know 
able to flush, I always call it flush and fix, make a mistake, flush it on a drain, fix it, and able to like have short memory. How, how important is that in being, you know, the bookends of an offensive line? I mean, if you have a bad play, that pass rush is still coming the next play. So <laughs> exactly. being able to, you know, when I don't have success is when I get kind of unsettled in my head or I'm rushing things or you're not really sure what's going on. Being able to slow down, play with a clear head um, and just go out there and play football. That's when things are easiest for me. So just being able to understand, like, I, I got beat, like whatever. But mm-hmm. my best chance for this next rep is being calm, cool and collected and relaxed. Because if I'm tense, I'm probably going to get beat. Have you seen any linemen, offensive linemen that's came in for their official visit or their, you know, after they got signed in the draft and came in in the sweatsuit and basketball shorts? Have you ever seen that, Brian? What do you mean? This guy, <laughs> Christian Derisaw, <laughs> when he signed his contract. Where'd you, where did you fly from? Uh, I was in Ocean City, Maryland. You, so he was in Maryland and came in with basketball <laughs> shorts and a hoodie on. I was like, but that's yeah. what he's going to wear every day. Right. He's <laughs> not going to switch up. Like, that's exactly. what he's wearing right now exactly. is, is a hoodie yeah. and sweatpants. Man, I, I told a few people, I was like, I got the utmost respect for this dude for doing that. Yeah. Granted, you left in a, you know, a Viking sweatsuit right. that was a little more uh, professional. <laughs> right, right, right. But, like, what's, <laughs> what, what was the mindset? Because, I mean, just, usually guys come in with suits on. I mean, it's the biggest day of your life yeah. up until that point. So, like, Mom, I'm going in with a suit. I know I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to smile. But yeah. you came in with a sweatsuit on. So I didn't even wear like a suit to draft night. Like I had on some like a regular Gucci hoodie and some jeans. And it was just like the flight was like at 6 a.m. So I wanted to be comfortable. I get it. So I just put on a hoodie and some shorts and one backpack and I was ready to go. I remember Garrett came in full suited up <laughs> for his like when he got here right after he got drafted. I haven't seen him in a suit other than that in his wedding yeah. since. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you talked about Garrett, and I know you've been mic'd up a couple of times, and you and Garrett have a really good relationship. Can, can you just describe, both of you guys, describe the offensive line dynamic in the room? Because first and foremost, if you've been into TCL, I know a lot of people can't get in right now because of all the restrictions, but you guys have the most festive position room in the NFL. Like there's, I mean, during Halloween, there's like cobwebs hanging off the ceiling. Now it's fall and it's Thanksgiving. You got leaves on the, like, talk to me. For the holidays, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas on the first of every month, the rookies every year decorate the room. <laughs> um, and it usually, Christmas is always the biggest. So December 1st, the rookies have to decorate the room for Christmas, and that's usually the best one because you've had October and November, Halloween and Thanksgiving, to practice and prepare and really get it right. So they did a good job so far on Halloween and Thanksgiving, but the real test is Christmas. <laughs> So clearly you were a part of, Christian, you were a part of the, the decoration process. Yep. How did, I mean, are you an arts and craft guy or? No, nah, not at all. Like back in August when we had to like get ready for Halloween, I, I was like, I didn't think they were serious about like the whole decoration, but they showed us like Ezra and like all the guys like have done it before. Uh-huh. It was like, man, this is serious. Like <laughs> it's no joke. Like you better have like everything to the T or they're going to take it down and you're going to redo it. So uh, me and Wyatt, uh, we got a little help from people upstairs too, okay. but yeah, did we you get it done. Like- you know they had help? Yeah, I had help when okay. I was here, right. too. I did, like, the people helped me out. Yeah. But at the end of the month, instead of throwing out all the decorations, all the facilities guys get, go in there and get first pick or whatever they want. So really? I'm assuming the last couple of years, the guys who that help us clean it up at the end of every month, they take home the best of the best. And Yeah, yeah I mean, you got to think if... I mean, if y'all are making, I mean, if it's like pumpkins or whatnot, like you just take that. If it's candy that's left over, you just. Inflatables. Wow. Yeah. 
Man, so it's like party city. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's like a party city. I don't got... think there's any candy left over by the end of it. But... <laughs> well, I mean, we know a little bit about you, but as far as like you, CD, like what, what hobbies interest you outside of football? Uh, really, I like the like outdoors, like lakes, hunting, okay. um, like especially during quarantine, uh, Lake Norman, uh, Cornelius, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, it's like a lot of jet skiing. It's like being out on the water, just having fun, like with family and friends. Uh, I really feel like that's like my happy place, really, is being out there. You picked up bow hunting too, right? Yeah, how, bow hunting deers. How did that? What? How did yeah. that come about? So like just being at Virginia Tech, like you're in the country, yeah. and like your teammates are from everywhere, like down south or just in like the East Coast. So uh-huh. I went out with my teammate one time. I was kind of nervous, just like sitting out there in the woods for that long. But we actually got one, so it was fun. You ever? Are you into hunting at all? I've never been hunting. Okay, just never really been on my radar. I never been invited to go. Never <laughs> took it up myself. I don't, I feel like he's like throwing you softballs right nah. now. <laughs> I feel like you got to take him hunting now. You've yeah. never been, never been invited. Yeah, none of my friends have ever taken me hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I feel like we got to make that happen. And being that Minnesota is an outdoorsy state, like it, there's a, a lot of opportunities to, you know, get out. Now it's your first winter in Minnesota that we're coming up on. Like, have you been able to get out here and like enjoy yourself and like just, just see what Minnesota has to offer? Uh, not too much, but uh, during OTAs, like I'll go to Lake Minnetonka. Uh, me, Pat Jones, Wyatt, we had a boat. Like, we just rode around, had a good time. Yeah. Well, we got to talk Baltimore Ravens because that is the most important game coming up on the schedule. But we'll get to it right when we come back from the break. So stay tuned. Don't turn the dial. We'll be right back with more from Brian O'Neill and Christian Derisaw on the Audible presented by Verizon. Well, Will, we are back. This is the Audible presented by Verizon. Gabe Henderson here alongside Christian Derisaw, my man Brian O'Neill. I want to start this segment off with, I'll have a little fun here, a little bit. If a coach asks an offensive lineman or offensive guard to say, like, hey, what is the first play you want to run in the game? Chances are he's going to say, like, ISO or power because you can get downfield quick and make a statement. Clint Kubiak came up to both of you guys right now, like, separate and said, hey, first play of the game, Brian O'Neill, what do you want to run? I want to run a play where I get to pull. Okay. Around the outside. It used to be a lot more enjoyable, too, because we were able to cut in space okay. and run and dive at a guy's legs, but we're not allowed to cut outside the tackle box anymore. So it's not as fun, but it's still I still like getting out on the edge and running a little bit. What about you? I'll probably say like an inside-outside zone. Uh, just really? going straight down at him. Uh, I love just like running Your way or him. opposite? Either way. Either it's, way? Yeah. The double team or my, the man block by myself. Away from you, you got the cutback. I mean, you got the you got to cut the off cut the off, yeah. cut off guy, and like same for you, right? So like, is is there any moment that you could like make a statement with the cutoff block like that? Uh, sometimes, like especially like we're on the outside zone, like away from me, mm-hmm. and you cut off that three technique, and that ball is probably gonna shoot right behind you. Yeah, and with Dalvin running it, you never know touchdown. And that's the thing, like you got Dalvin Cook as your running back, a guy that can bust up in sixty yards any given moment. For you guys that are I wouldn't say the last line of offense, but if it's a cutback, you guys are technically the last line of offense if there's no tight end backside. Like, how does that make you feel when you get – I mean, for you, CD, I mean, I'm just thinking of a play last game. You had a 15-yard run, and you were one-on-one with Randy Gregory, pushing him out the way. But when you have that moment to get that touchdown block, like, what does that feel like? It feels better than a blown block, I'll tell you. <laughs> like, if you cut a guy off and you see him hit right behind you, you it, like, it feels good, but at the same time, you're like, I hope it's 15 yards, not five. Right. And then you're like, you know, it feels good for about a quarter of a second, and then it's right back to the next one. It's Mm -hmm. like, just like you can't let a bad play hang with you. You can't let a good play hang with you because 
it could be third and four the next play and the pass rush is still coming. So um, it's a good for a half second, but then it's right back to work. I know um, I, I talked to Michael Pierce last week on the Audible, and we always talk about crowd noise. And you want the crowd to get hype for the opposing offense, but you never really realize, like, the defense, the, I guess the home defense on the field, like, they actually are, like, trying to hear each other out too. But for an offensive perspective, I know you played at Virginia Tech, the inner Sandman. You finally got to experience the skull chain and everything. Like, what is it like for you just being able to play in these raucous environments? I'm just comparing the inner Sandman to the skull chain. Uh, it's definitely like, it's electric. Just hearing that skull chant, you get like chills. Yeah. Um, especially like my first time hearing it, like the first home game, which is like, man, it's crazy. And it's just like in the Sandman, though, coming from Virginia Tech, like our fans are rowdy, jumping. And I don't know. Any comparison between like how crazy it gets? Uh, I don't know. It's probably like right in the middle for me. Like, does it still do something to you when you hear it, like pregame or like when the fans are just crazy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially last year, we didn't have it at all. Right. So, like, even the preseason this year, week one, it was like, oh, wow, like we're back. Um, and that was really cool to see. And I mean, it's been rocking every home game since. So. CD, I know this has been a process for you getting back. You're starting to feel, feel a little bit more comfortable, right? But now that you, you, you know you're going in as a starter, you, you know you got a game plan for somebody that's pretty much they're going to give you their best defensive end. What is that mental process like for you understanding that? Uh, really just got to be like, I just got to just have everything to a T. Um, so like watching a lot of film, studying like the, the playbook and everything like that. Uh, just so the mental errors won't be there so I can play fast. Uh, the more I know, it's just like the faster I'll be. So just making sure I like break down the film, just know my rushers and everything like that. And I feel like the game will be like slower and I'll be able to move fast. Would you say it was kind of like a whirlwind, like your first couple of like snaps or your first moment? I mean, you you usually don't hear of linemen just like actually just getting thrown into the fire. Yeah. It's more so of like, all right, well, we, we got off season to figure this thing right. out. And now that you're just like here, like, is it, has your mind, was your mind spinning at first before it started slowing down? Uh, that Detroit game, um, we was like backed up in the end zone and my mind was definitely spinning. <laughs> and we made that long drive and we got the touchdown. Yeah. So it was just like, everything just calmed down. It was like, I'm here. Uh, and just everything was just like, yeah, perfect. The other thing is he didn't have OTA, like really OTA team reps, yeah. all the training camp, joint practices with the Broncos, preseason games, like all these other things that you see a normal rookie have in their progression in terms of up to playing, he probably, he didn't have as much just like with the situation on how it unfolded throughout the off season. So, and then practice in the season, we try, you try to simulate a look on the scout team, but it's not the same as a training camp, three hour grinder in the middle of July yeah. or feeling it out in a preseason game or two, and then kind of ramping it up to me, he was thrown in the fire more than any rookie really has been in my opinion, just given his exposure before that. So how do you balance that as far as like letting him play versus coaching him up while being on the field? I try not to really coach him up. I, we kind of, after each drive, like just look over like, hey, what'd he give you? Just kind of mm -hmm. just, he can talk to me about what he saw from a rusher and I'll tell him what I saw. But I mean, he's a good player. He's a great player. There's a reason he was here. There's a yeah. reason they picked him that high. And there's a reason he's been playing well. So I don't, I don't really feel like he needs me to be picking him up and bringing him along. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just, you know, a credit to the preparation he's put in and the player he is. If you look at X's and O's tackle, you see like T, G, C when, it, when explaining like the offensive line positions. What makes a good left tackle versus a good right tackle in the NFL? Like are there are certain qualities you got to have because one guy's front side, the other guy's backside. I know you guys, it's a collective unit, but what separates the good from the great? 
I mean, I play right, so I'm going to say there's no difference. But I, say, I, say, I feel the same way. You still got pass block, uh, run block. You still got to do everything. So I, don't know. I mean, kick steps. Like, is, that, is there anything that's different? I don't think there's anything that's different, but I have a lot of respect for people who are able to play both mm. and who are able to switch on a short notice. Because I think that's really underestimated how difficult that is for an offensive lineman to try to do it. Um, people have asked me before, like, how would the transition be to left? I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's no problem. But, like, <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually pretty hard. So, um, you know, for a guy like Rashad, who's played both right and left tackle for us here, you know, whenever he needs to give a guy a spell in a game for the past couple of years, and he started games at right tackle and left mm -hmm. tackle, I think that's a really difficult thing to do. And a lot of respect to guys around the league who can do it. Well, chances are both of you guys are going to get opportunities to block Justin Houston on Sunday. Same thing as Randy Gregory. They're going to switch sides. What challenges does a guy like him, a veteran that's got 99 and a half sacks, present to the tackle position? I mean, he's a really good player who's been around a long time and doing it for a long time. We played him last year um, in, at Indy, and he was a really good player. Um, and I certainly don't want either one of us to be number 100 for him. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know he's going to be gunning for that. Uh, that's a real thing. Um, but, you know, they have a lot of talent up front. I also got a lot of respect for Calais Campbell. My rookie year, the Jaguars came here for joint practices and training camp, and that was kind of one of my welcome to the NFL moments was him. Um, that was my first time really going against a guy of that caliber. Hmm. I mean, you just brought up your welcome to the NFL moment, so it's only right. CD, you've been playing in the league three games now. Have you had a welcome to the NFL moment? You did say – that one drive was like, oh, shoot, like, I can I, do this. It probably was that one drive versus Detroit. Uh, really? I was taking the ball all the way down the field, and it kind of just, like, hit me, like, okay. actually playing now, and it's just like, we here. Well, we here now. Yeah. M&T Bank Stadium on Sunday. I know you said you don't have any rituals. This is just going to be another game day. Um, how important is it for this offense to get back on track after the performance that, you know, that we, that we had on Sunday? Uh, I mean, I think it's really important, I think, to come out and you know not only prove to everybody but prove to ourselves that we're at the level we think we are and that you know we can play to the standard that we hold ourselves to and um, show that we're better than the product that we put out on the field this past weekend. Do you feel like you're pushing yourself a little bit more, saying, "Okay, well it's another game. I should be able to do this now, or I should be able to do that now," versus you know outside looking in, it's just like, "Okay, well he's still a rookie." Like, what is it? What is it like for you? I'm just going out there and trying to be like the best version of me um, every play. It's not like really like going week by week, like, I can do this and do this. Like, I feel like I'm past that stage now. Um, and, like, the injuries, like, I feel like that's all behind me. And I'm just going out there just trying to be the best version of me and, and just do my job so we can get set these Ws. As a collective unit, the offensive line in particular, what would you say a, a, a weekly goal is in order to be successful? No sacks, 100 yards rushing, mm. 150. I mean, keep number eight clean and give Dalvin some holes. I think that's kind of – Really what it boils down to our two jobs are protect the quarterback and, you know, run the ball. Being the blind side guy, are there any extra goals that you set for yourself? Uh, not really no extra goals. Uh, I just go out there and just like, just know, like, had that mindset, like, like B.O. said, uh, we got to keep the quarterback clean because we know when, when Kirk got time, one of the best in the league. So just mm -hmm. keep him clean and open up holes for Dalvin. Uh, I feel like everything will, will work itself out from there. Well, we talked about on the field. I want to talk about a little bit off the field before we get out of here. We have the annual Thanksgiving O-line turkey giveaway. Could you give it, Brian, I know you've, you've done it a few times. So, like, could you give fans a little insight of what it is and what it means? Yeah, for probably since 2016 or 17, I think, before I got here, uh, the O-line's done a turkey and Thanksgiving dinner giveaway at the Salvation Army in St. Paul, I believe. 
Um, and so we're out there, um, you know, buying and donating Thanksgiving meals to however many cars show up or to however many meals run out. Um, and we're just there for a couple hours handing out meals and turkeys to families that need them. And um, the Salvation Army does a good job of, you know, setting everything up and um, spreading the word for people who might need them and just glad to help any way we can. Christmas time, you guys do a lot of stuff too, right? That's a, I mean, you guys are very well versed with annual things outside of the turkey giveaway, right, Brian? Yeah, I think uh, two years ago it switched from just a generic gift drive to uh, a couple guys in the O-line basically adopting a family. And so a specific family would get, we would try to provide all the gifts that they would need for their kids uh, or whatever those kids wanted for um, Christmas. So basically just taking a specific family and trying to make sure they have an awesome Christmas. Um, hopefully able to do a lot more turkeys this year and help out a lot more families at Thanksgiving or at Christmas. So will there be turkeys in the, like the, the old offensive line room? I know you said there's a lot of like festive stuff, like people can take stuff after the, I guess the rookies decorate. So like, will there be turkeys in there that people, I wouldn't say people can take, but that you can give to people? I don't think we're going to bring them in the old line room. I, that's not, that's, that's a little too far, but uh, they'll be they'll be somewhere for people to be able to get. Well, two guys that you guys communicate with well, CD, you communicate with Ezra a lot, and Brian, you communicate with Oli a lot. Yeah. What are those guys like? Oli's very quiet. Okay. Um, he's quiet. Um, he works extremely hard. He's very bright. Um, you can usually find him in the O-line room after practice later at night, watching film. He likes to do his work here. Um, but then, like, sometimes he'll just kind of explode with a burst of positive energy out of nowhere. <laughs> Or he'll hit, he'll hit a guy really hard and just, like, start screaming randomly on the field. And you're like, okay, Oli. Like, <laughs> it's not usually like him, but he'll yeah. bring it out. He'll bring it out every now and then. What about Ezra? I probably feel like he's the same way. It's like bringing it out every now and then. Uh, he's not, like, really, like, the loudest guy, but mm. he comes out of his shell sometimes. Uh, Ezra was a right guard last year, so you were able to talk to him. So, like, what has your relationship been like, been like with him now that you've got a year under your belt with Ezra? Um, it's good. I remember a couple times – during training camp, he'd come up to me after and be like, hey, would you see there for me? If I was, if Rashad was in and I was taking a break or somebody was in and I was watching the first group go, Ezra would be asking me a question about something that he saw just because we did it on the same side last year together. So he understands how I think and how I see things um, and what adjustments I might have. So um, I'm sure CD's starting to, you know, kind of build that relationship with him now, but he's certainly able to ask me things and I can, you know, revert back to, hey, remember this play that we ran against Chicago last year or whatever, and he's able to recall it pretty well. Ezra Cleveland, second-year guy. You get the opportunity to stand beside him every day on the line of scrimmage. What has that connection been like just as far as, like, I know you said you guys are communicating a little bit better, but as far as, like, now having that experience, he's been there kind of in a similar position as you, high, high draft pick, trying to figure things out, thrown into the fire. What has that been like? Uh, really, it's just been like a lot of communication between us, like on the line, make sure we're both on the same page. Um, like whenever we're on the same page, I feel like we can move anybody, and just it's just like just trying to build that relationship. Still, uh, haven't had like a lot of practices with them, um, so we're still trying to figure like a little bit things out. But I feel like we're getting there. All right, last question: The Vikings' offensive line will be successful Sunday if we can protect the quarterback and run the football. Um, I mean, that's generic, but mm -hmm. if we can play penalty free. Um, and have no negative plays. Sacks, uh, tackles for loss. Mm. Uh, be penalty free, have no negative plays, and keep their you know, really good pass rushers off the stat sheet. It'll be a good day.
if I was a DC, I would probably blitz the left tackle versus the right tackle because that's what Kurt can't see. So being successful on Sunday against a blitzing defense, how do we do that? Just like the preparation throughout the week, um, just watching the film, the blitz, blitz tape and everything like that. Uh, so we can know like what pressures are coming. It's like different tendencies and like, okay, I've seen this on film. Like I know it's about to come, stuff like that. I really just feel like it's the preparation really. It's leading up to the week and just going out there and just trusting it, everything that we would put in, like all the work that we put in, just trust it and just go out there and play fast. That's Brian O'Neill, Christian Derrissaw. I'm expecting a big game out of those, both of these guys on Sunday going back home to play the Baltimore Ravens. Guys, stay tuned because we got another segment with Ben Lieber coming right up after this. Start a new tradition and support your community by volunteering and ringing bells at a Salvation Army Kettle location near you. Register to ring at SalvationArmyNorth.org. All right, welcome back to The Audible presented by Verizon. My name is Gabe Henderson alongside Ben Lieber. And Ben, always good to have the two bookends on. Christian yeah. Derisaw, uh, Brian O'Neill, those guys, they are going to grow as we continue to go forward. You can tell that chemistry is already starting to, to get there. And it's fun to see, especially when your offensive line has some chemistry. And, you know, those guys start everything for this entire team. You know, the thing I love about offensive linemen is that you know, they're, they're always kind of like grimy and dirty and nasty. <laughs> yeah. um, and you think that they're just kind of like that all the time. But, like, you look at Brian O'Neill, he's like, he's always got a smile on his face. Yeah. Like, he, does, he just looks like a guy, like, wouldn't hurt anybody at yeah. all. But then he's just like, he's a <laughs> punk on the field, you know? It's like the guy that you want to have in your locker room and, and protecting the quarterback. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I understand how guys can turn on the switch. You know, I try to turn the switch on as much as I could when yeah. I played, and you as well. Like, yeah. there's just a different mentality in a game face. But it's like, then you meet these guys off the field, mm-hmm. and you're like, you're the nicest guy ever. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> how like, are you pushing people around? For those guys to take on 200, 300-pound defenders every play, um, kudos, respect, and they're going to have to gain some respect from this Baltimore Ravens defensive line that likes to blitz yeah. the fourth most heavy blitzing team in the NFL. Yeah, it's going to come down to communication. You know, it's going to be tough. They're on the road. Yeah. You know, that's that's why it, it is it does make a difference when you're facing a, a pressure defense in their home stadium and you're an offense. Hand signals can only go so far. You right. still have to bark things out. You still have to talk. You still have to communicate. So hopefully they can overcome that. M&T Bank Stadium, 12 p.m. Central Time, Vikings versus Ravens. I know I'm in the minority for saying this. You got a 5-2 and two Baltimore Ravens team that has the most dynamic player in the NFL. Um, but I, I do think the Vikings pull this out. I, PA said it. He has a, PA has it in overtime. I don't think this game goes into overtime. But I do think it'll be a high-scoring game. Yeah. You know why I don't want it to get over <laughs> Yeah. I, I got a 633 flight <laughs> back to the Twin Cities. Man, you got to be back on uh, the power trip, right? You got to be back on the power trip on Monday morning. And, uh, uh, who's your matchup to watch on Sunday? Uh, my matchup to watch is our defensive front. Mm. I want to see us consistently beat their battered offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they give up pressure. We can beat some one-on-ones. Uh, they have issues up front. We obviously are down to Neil Hunter. So the matchup to me is, can we exploit their weakest link without our, one of our best players on the team? That's my position. How about you? I got to go wide receivers versus cornerbacks. They've given up the most uh, passing yards in the first seven games. And when you look at it, it's like, okay, well, they're giving up a lot of points. But if you're not pristine in your route running, I think you make those DBs look like they're top-tier DBs, which... Like, I just think Justin Jefferson has to have a bounce back game. Adam Thielen has to have another game like he had last week. We have to show the world that 
these receivers are here to stay. This game, when you put J.J. against a Marlon Humphrey, Marlon Humphrey covered Justin Jefferson's teammate, yeah. his college teammate, Jamar Chase, a couple of weeks ago and had over 200 receiving yards. If I'm Justin Jefferson, I'm licking my chops. I know they're going to blitz, and I know I'm getting press man coverage 40% of the game. They'll have, try to have a day and force us to take some shots. That's why I think Dalvin Cook will be good, but I think Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, I mean, you got to have – 170 receiving yards between the two, at least, mm-hmm. to consider this a good game for those guys. So let me, let's just stay in that vein then. So my guess is your player to watch, specific player, is one of those wide receivers. JJ. <laughs> <laughs> JJ for sure. Like, I think JJ has to have another 100-yard receiving game. He had the fumble in Carolina. Then he had 21 yards against the Cowboys. So a lot of people are saying, is this the sophomore slump? And I think J.J. has to get over that hump and basically prove everyone wrong. Honestly, I think they'll put J.J. in the slot a little bit more this week because their nickel cornerback, he has problems with dynamic receivers. So I think they will try to put the ball in yeah, J.J.'s manipulate hands. manipulate the offense a little bit to try to get him the ball. Exactly. So, yeah, J.J.'s my guy. Who, who, like, who's your guy, though? I think there's a lot of confidence with Tyler Conklin right now. Okay. And I think that he's a guy that, that teams continually overlook. And – and I'm not just saying this because uh, Uzama had a day with Cincinnati two weeks ago before their bye, and he was a huge contributor to their, their, that offense and that pass offense. It's more so the way we used him in this last game against Dallas. Mm-hmm. We came out on that first drive and split him out and just said, hey, go run a go route. I'm going to throw the ball up to you in a 50-50 situation. And I, want you to out, I want you to out jump the defender mm-hmm. and come down with a tough catch on the sideline. Mm-hmm. That play to me told me that they have a tremendous amount of trust in him. Yeah. And, and I think that manipulating the offensive sets to, to find the right matchups, I think that we can do that with Conklin. And, and to me, he's, he's showing more and more confidence, sort of how we saw Irv at the end of that, the, the season two years ago when all of a sudden you saw, he's like, okay, you're the guy. I kind of feel like that's what's going on with Tyler Conklin is like, hey, man, you're not just a blocker, an H-back, a tight end, an inline tight end like, you're playmaking tight end now. Right. And, and I think that that's starting to come to fruition, and I think that's starting to develop in a positive way. So I'm, I'm hoping that our, our offense becomes more dynamic with a pass-catching Tyler Conklin. I'm going to end it on this. How do we contain Lamar Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> to his credit, I think he keeps getting bashed. You know, Every offseason, everybody's saying, like, ah, you're not a pocket passer. You're just like a dual-threat guy. I think he's trying to prove people wrong. You know, As much as they have designed quarterback run for him, as much as he is a phenomenal scrambler and he can, he can break the line of scrimmage and pick up some yards with his legs, I do think that he's trying more and more to be a pocket passer. Mm-hmm. He's extending plays laterally to open things up and still throw the ball down the field deep. Um, so I think there's going to be opportunities for him to get sacked, to get pressured, because mm-hmm. he's not always looking to break the line of scrimmage. Um, that being said, I still don't think that he's a polished cerebral quarterback in the fact that he... He plays well under fire, mm-hmm. and he's, he's great at diagnosing when the blitz is coming. I think that you can get after him on third and long. Now, we have to do a great job on first and second down yeah. to, per, to force third and long. But if we get in third and long, you can pressure this dude, and he speeds his process up. He speeds his progressions up, and he makes bad decisions, and he, and he hesitates. 
I also think we can mix in a lot of drop eight coverage, yeah. only rushing three guys. So you can mug everybody at the front that Zim likes to do, drop out eight guys, and I think you take away those windows and don't give me clean looks, he's going to pat that ball. Because yeah. like I said, he wants to be a passer. Mm. He wants to get the ball down the field. So I think there can be a lot of confusion we can throw at him through disguise, through heavy blitz, through drop eights. Just throw everything at him and, and, uh, and hopefully he crumbles. And if he does crumble, that benefits this entire Vikings team because we know the Baltimore Ravens run through number eight in Lamar Jackson. So I, I know he does force a lot of throws when you turn on the film. A lot, he fits the ball. He tries to fit the ball in a lot of tight windows. And usually when he throws one pick in a game, he's going to throw a second one because he wants to bounce back or at least prove to himself mm -hmm. that, hey, I can, I can be a pocket passer. I can prove this, though. He's got two games with two-plus interceptions this year, and he's thrown five interceptions. So it, it pretty much shows that this guy will force throws. Mm -hmm. If you get pressure on him, he will fold under pressure. But that still, in the same breath, this guy, he's thrown, I think every other game he's thrown an interception, they still found a way to win the game. Yeah. So we yeah. have to finish the game. Three phases of every game. Offense, defense, special teams. If we're good on all three phases, I guarantee this Vikings team will win on Sunday. But we got to be great, if not good, at all three to beat a 5-2 and two Baltimore Ravens team. Ben Lieber, always a pleasure talking to you, my you friend. You too, man. For Ben Lieber, Christian Derisoff, Brian O'Neill, my name is Gabe Henderson, and this is The Audible, presented by Verizon. Thank you all so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Audible. The Audible is presented by Verizon with 5G built right for the Vikings. Minnesota can scream, stream, and share every play in Verizon 5G quality.